Hi there, my name's Grace. It's Saturday, August 4th, 2018. Um, it is the Sabbath, and so I want to go ahead and start a section of scripture that I was looking at today. Some uh, young men on Periscope, which is a live streaming platform owned by Twitter, we're talking about Daniel 4 and 6 today, but they sort of um, left something to be desired because all they were really talking about, it seems, um, was diet restrictions and how to um, not so gracefully withdraw yourself from things like Christmas parties where people will be eating things that you don't want to eat because of your religion. And I feel that this entirely misses the point of not only what Daniel or what is uh, recorded about Daniel in the book of Daniel, um, but also what Paul warned us about in the New Testament in his epistles to the early church, where he spoke to us, us, fellow heirs of grace in Christ. Um, he spoke to us about receiving food given to us in hospitality, like at parties or being invited to a big meal like that, receiving that sort of thing with thanksgiving, um, not only to God, but to their, to, to your host. Um, just eating what you're served with gratitude, uh, without making some sort of fuss about um, what that food is and whether or not it pleases God that you're eating it because it, pleasing God has nothing to do with you pleasing God and has everything to do with what truly um, objectively pleases God. Um, and we can go into that in more depth, but the scripture that I want to um, bring up today is in two different books. And we might also go into Revelation, but... Um, the, the first thing, um, Daniel is not the only thing that I want to speak about. One of the first things I want to speak about as far as um, in timeliness, as far as what is happening in time here in the United States of America, um, many of you may have heard about the toxic algae blooms um, that are destroying the wildlife in Florida and also may be damaging a multi-billion dollar economy there. Um, this is quite a crisis um, and it is divine um, that it would happen like this, that an, an entire economy could be flipped off like a switch. Um, I'm just trying to get to Ezekiel where we will find our first scripture. Now, if you have heard anything about the situation in Florida, um, you will know that, first of all, not many people are talking about it on the news. Um, it is not, um, we're not getting very long news segments with in-depth information. They may do an interview with someone who will um, kind of beat around the bush for a couple of minutes until the uh, time goes up as far as um, that broadcasting slot, which is so foolish. And so um, what we're seeing on the news is a blackout of information. 
and it simply is nothing other than a blackout of information on something that is actually catastrophic. Rick Scott, the governor of Florida, has announced that the state of Florida, the state, um, is in a state of emergency. Um, this is a crisis um, that will affect the economy and the lives of all who live in Florida. This is not something that will just pass. It's a flash in the pan. It won't really be so bad. Stuff like this happens all the time, but this is an unprecedented event that has occurred. And so far, um, both Rick Scott and Mark, is it Marco Rubio? Or do I just want to say that because of Marco Polo? He has, I know, I'm so uneducated. I simply can't remember that man, that, that waste of space and his name. Um, he's gotten on the in, on, on the podium in front of his constituents and told them, well, there are just um, a lot of reasons why this is happening and there's not one single solution to it and he won't give any more information than that. Um, and the news won't give us any more information about what he's saying either. That's about the extent of the information that is being linked to the public, aside from what the public is sharing amongst themselves. So, so far we can see that we cannot um, we cannot rely on those who serve us in the government to do their job. So I want to take you to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel was a prophet of Yahweh in Israel, and he received the word of Yahweh. So in Ezekiel 33, starting in verse 1, I'm reading out of the New American Standard. I also have before me uh, the New Living Translation. Um, I have a copy of, oh, what's it really called? I'm trying to get past all the family tree stuff here. I don't like ambiguous Bibles. The Clear Word, it's called, published by Herald Publishing Association. It's not a translation, it says, but a devotional paraphrase of scripture expanded for clarity. So we won't use that as a translation, but the New Living Translation is a translation. So the uh, New American Standard Bible is a translation. And Ezekiel 33, I just want to say that for the record, so you know what I'm reading out of. I do not have a King James in front of me, nor a New King James. However, I do have a King James um, Young's Analytical Concordance to the Bible. Um, this is to be used alongside a King James Bible, but I know the word well enough to know uh, which word the King James would be using in the scripture, the actual chapter and verse, um, using my New American Standard. So, Ezekiel 33, I don't want to make it about me, I'm sorry. Ezekiel 33, verse 1 says, And the word of Yahweh came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon a land, and the people of the land take one man from among them, and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet, and warns the people, then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. 
Okay, so I want to stop there. What we just read is the word of Yahweh, the, the authoritative word of the Most High, came to Ezekiel saying, addressing him as a son of man, speak to the sons of your people and tell them, his people are Israel, tell them that if I bring a sword upon a land, which if Yahweh brings a sword upon a land, the people of the land should take one man from among them and make them make him their watchman. So, so we, we set up someone who is supposed to be looking out for us, who is supposed to be looking out for our interests, for our safety, for the good of our land, for the good of all peoples, right? And that is not unlike the, um, the Constitution of the United States of America, which is supposed to be safeguarded and defended and upheld by our representatives and also that constitution is supposed to preserve our liberty, our personal liberties collectively, our liberties, the liberties of all who step within our borders, which is why they're fighting so hard for border control and not just border control, which is a good thing. Humane border control is a very good thing. However, it's not being done humanely. Obviously, children in cages are never a humane option um, and people who opt for that are not humane or probably human. So my point is that the people who are in government and in power are only in power because we the people have set them there. Now they are acting as though they have much more power than that and that is because they are buying power. I'm sorry, they are um, actually being sold power by the, um, I think it's a little bit of both, by the big corporations that um, are, are hoarding wealth like um, magical dragons um, currently in this age. I'm sorry to make a fantasy reference, but Revelation also does. So I feel like I can take a little bit of liberty here and say that these people are akin to dragons hoarding wealth and sitting atop a giant pile of gold while the rest of us face the consequences. So the, the watchman that we are seeing in Ezekiel versus, let's see, Three, he says, he, the watchman, sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet, okay, which is a, a symbol that we also get in Revelation. Um, he blows the, on the trumpet and warns the people, right, we the people. Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head, period. Okay, so that statement is of a watchman who does his appointed duty. This man is accountable to Yahweh and does his work. He's also accountable to his fellow man. He has probably a clear conscience. He is vigilant. And he very much understands the gravity of his post. And now verse 5 talks about the foolish man. Who, whose blood is on his own head because he didn't heed the warning, the sound of the trumpet. Verse 5 says, He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. Okay, so. Notice that it doesn't say, then, then I would have delivered him. Okay, 
he actually is responsible for delivering his own life, for not being stupid. Man cannot blame God for his own foolish acts. He would have delivered himself. Okay. Now in verse six, we're moving along and it says, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet. Okay, so this I'm pointing at our um, elected governing bodies and even the, the governing bodies that are hired into place. Um, of course, most board, um, board members like in the FDA and in the EPA and in the USDA and all these other things, both on a federal level and on a state-run level, um, these people need need to be considered um, the subject of these next verses, okay? Or of this next verse in, in verse 6, Ezekiel 33, verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, it comes without warning, and a sword comes and takes a person from them. He is taken away in his iniquity. Right? Okay, whoa. But his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. So, that is judgment right there. That Yahweh is saying definitively, the authoritative word of God is, that if a sword comes and takes a person, because I brought the sword in the first place, Yahweh, I am takes the sword and brings it against these people in the first place. Your people, Israel. His people. But he says, your people. Isn't that funny? If the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet. So if these, these representatives who have been put into place as our watchmen to watch over us, the people, and the land, their area of authority, their dominion, right? and does not blow the trumpet, does not warn people, knowing that he's like Rubio being paid over $1.6 million between agribusiness, okay, and natural resources and fuel. The numbers are over $800,000 in contributions that he has received from them. I'm sorry, if anybody contributed that much money to me, I would be living extremely comfortable no matter what's happening in the world and it seems that rubio is too if a sword comes and takes a person from them he has taken in his iniquity his own iniquity has caused yahweh to take him by the sword and the sword is just a symbol of of death calamity right a sudden and swift disaster has come upon him so that is a warning to the people that if you are not prepared, if you are not vigilant, if you don't know that your watchman is a piece of human garbage, and you are not preparing yourself for the sword that is coming, it will be your own iniquity that causes you to be taken away by the calamity. This is a warning to all people through all ages. But his blood, at the end of verse 6, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. So this means, ultimately, though it was really the person's fault that they died because, listen to this, he didn't prepare, 
He wasn't taking it seriously. He just blindly trusted the watchman. He wasn't being smart and, and decided he wasn't accountable for his own life. So he just lived willy-nilly, right? Wasn't looking for the warning signs himself and was stupid enough to be taken away in times of calamity, brought upon that specific people by Yahweh. It's his own iniquity, but the watchman at the judgment will be 100%. There's no, there's no way that I can say this to really um, inflect the severity of this. That person's blood, his life, the end of his life will be on the watchman's hand. Okay, so um, the calamity that is coming upon people, whether it is economically or not, there is someone who is responsible for it on this earth right now and will pay for it, possibly forever and ever. We're going down to verse 7 now. Now as for you, son of man, this is still Yahweh speaking to Ezekiel. I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. Do you think uh, Ezekiel felt the gravity then? So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require from your hand. So in verse 8 we see why Ezekiel wrote all this down. To spread writing is a form of preserving and spreading information. Warnings. Inf like instructions. Um, things that need to be preserved, things that need to be spread, things that need to be seen by as many people for as long as possible. Write it down, right? We don't think of it that way because we're in the time of Twitter and Facebook, but this is what writing truly is. And luckily for Ezekiel, he did very well. This has been preserved for thousands of years, right? So at least 2,000, but we know that it's been longer. So... And it says here in verse 9, But if on you on your part warn a wicked man to turn from his way, meaning if you do all you do to warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your own life, Ezekiel. Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you have spoken, saying, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we are running away in them. How then can we survive? Israel, realizing the true, the reality of their state. Our sins are upon us and we're rotting away in them. How can we survive? How do we get out of this? How are we going to be delivered from this mess? Right? Yahweh tells Ezekiel, say to them, as I live, declares Yahweh God. Which really the Hebrew there would be um, Adonai, Yahweh, right? Because it says the Lord God, God in all caps. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. 
turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? Right? Why then will you die? If I have warned you and I have told you to turn from your wickedness, I have laid out all the parameters of what I think wickedness is. You know my thoughts on these matters. I have made it very clear to you. Why then do you choose to die? And you, son of man, in verse 12, say to your fellow citizens, which is all I'm trying to do, the righteousness of a righteous man will not deliver him in the day of his transgression. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he will not stumble because of it in the day when he returns from his, his wickedness. This is beautiful. What Yahweh is saying very authoritatively is that just because you have righteous acts in your past does not mean that you will be saved in the day of trouble in your sin. So beware and turn from sin. And then he says of the wicked, the wicked, when they turn from wickedness, meaning they don't go back to it, they won't stumble because of their past wickedness. These are two totally diametrically opposed things happening. And it's the truth that your righteous acts, no matter what good things Mr. Rubio and Mr. Scott have done in Florida, no matter what good things they have done, allowing this to happen, having a media blackout, saying as little as possible, doing as little as possible to make up for it, and, and, and really just trying to silence the people to avoid mass panic, is wickedness. It is not good. It is not righteousness. It is not right to keep the people uninformed. And they certainly didn't blow the trumpet. Now in verse 13, it says, oh, let's finish verse 12. At the end of verse 12, there's a, a sentence that says, whereas a righteous man will not be able to live by his righteousness on the day when he commits sin. When I say to the righteous, he will surely live, and he so trusts in his righteousness that he commits iniquity, none of his righteous deeds will be remembered. But in that same iniquity of his which he has committed, he will die. But when I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and he turns from his sin and practices justice and righteousness, which we see in Genesis 18:19, is what, why he chose Abraham. He chose Abraham because he would command his household in the way of the Lord, which is the way of Yahweh the same way that Jesus said he is. I am the way. For I have chosen him, Genesis 18:19, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh by doing righteousness and justice so that Yahweh may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Back to Ezekiel 33. We are going from verse 14 to verse 15. But when I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and he turns from his sin and practices justice and righteousness. If a wicked man restores a pledge, pays back what he has taken by robbery, walks by the statutes which ensure life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. 
he shall not die. None of his sins that he has committed will be remembered against him. He has practiced justice, practice, big word there, practice justice and righteousness. He shall surely live. Yet your fellow citizens say the way of our Lord is not right when it is their own way that is not right. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, then he shall die in it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and practices justice and righteousness, he will live by them. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not right. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. And that is the end of the word of the Lord that came to Ezekiel in this passage. So we can see here that very authoritatively, Yahweh is saying, that those who are appointed by the people to look over them and, uh, and the, their whole jurisdiction are responsible to Yahweh. And this isn't just for Israel. This is anybody. If the, your people set you up to look over them and you let danger creep up on them, you don't warn them, and in fact they are profiting from it, which we can see in Revelation is one of the big things that Yahweh is disgusted with, Babylon. Let's just go ahead... Um, and switch to Revelation real quick so I can point that out. So we're going to switch to uh, Babylon 18 real quick. We're uh, looking at Babylon who has fallen. Starting in verse 1, and I'm just going to read through it, and you can go ahead and uh, figure out why I'm talking about it yourself. After these things, and this is John, right, receiving the revelation of Jesus, the Messiah, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons, and a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of her passion, I'm sorry, of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, and I will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. Verse 9, And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her, will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. <laughs> 
cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. The fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things, who became rich from her, will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city, she who is clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has announced, pronounced judgment for you against her. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer and the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. After this, after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. <laughs> that is why people on TV get all worked up. Hallelujah. It's, it's coming. It's coming. So now we're going to switch. It, we've been at this for 30 minutes. So we're going to kind of switch gears here for a second. All right. So not trying to be all fire and brimstone, but what we need to be honest about and nobody seems to want to be honest about is that we are standing on the precipice of this age and the next age. Um, we know that this age is one of war and famine and disease. These are the things we're surrounded by um, and of sin. This is the, the age of sin. This is Satan's age. We are at all times um, in a world which lays under the sway of the evil one, right? So, so, so we can just assume that since the whole world lays under the sway of the evil one, meaning he doesn't truly have power, but he has influence over the whole world, over all the things happening in the whole world, right? All means all, whole means whole, not part, right? So let's, let's just drop the double think here. And, and not think at the same time that um, the whole world isn't under the sway of the evil one. The whole world is under the sway of the evil one. This means the whole 
not just part, not just most, not just some, the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. Our God is not the evil one. So we have hope. But we can know definitively and have the authoritative word of God telling us that these people who are in power over us are under the sway of the evil one. And even in fact in our own lives, which I'm sure you know is the truth, that the evil one has sway with us. He has certain strings that he pulls, whether it's getting mad at each other or being hateful towards each other or manipulating people or even self-destructive things like using drugs, child abuse. You see people shooting people all the time. You see people just hurting each other all the time in all these different ways. And of course, the news only talks about that. But we know that God is at work in this world. And it says in Romans 8, 28, that he works all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, a lot of people will try to tell you what that purpose is. Um, and I think that if you can think for yourself without anybody's help, um, and you have read the Bible, you know what his purpose is. And it is not coming from... Um, some sort of devotional um, program that you had to buy. It's not coming from that devotional CD set you had to buy. It's not coming from the training program to start your own church that you had to buy. Um, it's not coming from anybody who's trying to influence you to be like them. The, the purpose that Yahweh has for us, that he calls us to, um, can be summed up in the words of our master, Jesus, who told us. You love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And then you love your neighbors as you love yourselves. And everything else hinges on that. If you don't do that, nothing else, nothing else is happening no matter what you deceive yourself as. So, what, what we want to know definitively based on the authoritative authoritative word of God right because that's a very important part there is that we have the word to back it up what we want to know is are we behaving in a way that is according to his purpose responding to the calling that that moment where we all knew that God was um, intervening in our life Revealing himself and his purpose to us. That he loves us. That he cares for us. That he's here for us. And that we don't have to do anything. We, because there's nothing we could do. <laughs> right? That moment that he revealed that to us. And we began to respond accordingly. That is being called according to his purpose. Now, we go back to. Being swayed by Satan is something that we all have in common. And so we can't particularly judge ourselves and each other based off of some sort of metric like, well, are you or are you not perfect? Because we know that Jesus was the only one who lived a sinless life. He was the blameless lamb. So we cannot, we cannot judge. And when I say judge, I mean evaluate each other um, based on that sort of merit because our God did not grant us grace and forgiveness based on any merit we have. 
but he saw something in us and we have to be able to recognize and respect that in each other, that he saw something in us that, that, that begged, begged to have him reveal to us. Does that make sense? He saw something in you, something precious that he wanted to save for all eternity and all time through all circumstances, through the end of this age and into the next age and into the eternal age forever and ever. Amen. He saw something in you that was so precious that he loved so much in your immortal soul and he set out to save it. And he is just going to wash away everything else over time if you let him. And he's probably not going to finish with you until this age is finished anyway. So don't worry about your progress or where you're at or what you know or whatever. If you love God, he is working on you. So here's, here's the deal, right? I dare to say definitively based on the authoritative word of God, based off of the things we just read, that these people in governing office over us do not love Yahweh with all their hearts, with all their minds, with all their souls, with all their strength. Now, so many of us would say, well, I'm not either. But let me tell you that if you get that sinking feeling in your chest, like, well, I, I'm not. I mean, I want to. I wish I could. I don't know how. I want to, but I know that I don't. You are loving Yahweh with all you've got. You meet that criteria. And it is some sort of humility in your heart. Some sort of meekness and gentle thing in you that thinks that you're not. And, and, and of course, Satan uses this to take us off. Like, well, if you're not meeting that one, then you can't meet any of the other ones. So why even try? Don't go down that road with him. He's just going to talk your ear off and waste your time on earth. What you can do is know that you are doing everything you know to do. And Yahweh will teach you how to do more. He'll teach you how to do more very quickly if you ask him. So, and then of course, we know that the people in governing office over us do not love their neighbor as much as they love themselves. That is a big criteria that we know for sure is not happening in these government offices. So now they do, they do love the people who cut them checks more than they, more than they love anybody else. But that really clearly does not meet the criteria of loving your neighbor more than you love yourself. They love themselves enough to love the people who cut them very big checks, very big checks. So I want to take you for the last part of this segment to Daniel. Okay. We, we've hit Ezekiel. We've hit Revelation. And, and now I'm going to take you to Daniel. Okay. And we're not going to go into the 70 weeks and the Messiah, but we are going to talk about the vision of the four beasts. Okay. I'm going to drink a little coffee here. Hmm. There we are. We're in Daniel 7, the vision of the four beasts. Okay. 
someone else is writing the introduction. They have their hands on the records that Daniel left. And it says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night. And behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. Most of the time, the eagle is a symbol of war. It was also a symbol used by the Romans and the Germans and the Americans. Okay, so those are the three that like definitively use that word a lot that have without a doubt those things in common. So this lion had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked. Just imagine that in your mind, a war eagle plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. So a lion with plucked eagle wings, Standing on two feet like, like a man. Not like a lion standing on two feet, but like a man. A human mind also was given to it. That's ominous. Verse 5. And behold another beast, a second one. Of course, they're all different from one another. Resembling a bear. What do you think of when you think of a bear? And it was raised up on one side. And three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, whoever they are, arise, devour much meat. That's really a weird thing to hear and a weird thing to see. So the three ribs in his mouth could be three different things that have been killed, died destroyed, devoured, actually eaten by this beast. After this, I kept looking and behold another one, right? So this might be war. First one might be war. The second one might be death. After this, I kept looking and behold another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I kept looking in the night, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth for devouring and crushing and trampling, right? It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder, the remainder of what it didn't devour, I don't know, the remainder of what? The remainder of people, the remainder of countries, the remainder of powers, the remainder of beasts. Uh, it, it isn't specified. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. So this is the third of fourth. It was different from all the rest. And it, oh wait, this was the fourth of, of four. I'm sorry. And it had ten horns. And Daniel says, while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, an eleventh horn, a little one 
came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled up by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. And we know as, as we move forward, right? No, there's another vision, the ram and the goat, and it, it continues this thread, right, with the horns. The horns are always seats of power. The We'll skip forward to verse 24, where um, we are being, we are having everything interpreted by someone who is standing by in the vision. He says, these, I'm, I'm going to go up to verse 17 instead, I'm sorry. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for all ages to come. Right? That's going to be the age of peace ruled by Messiah. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. Again, unspecified what the remainder was. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on his head, and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance, though it was called a little horn. It was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints in overpowering them. Do you think that applies to us? Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the Highest One. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. That is the precipice on which we stand. It has not yet begun. The stone has not begun falling from, like, like rolling down the mountain, like Gidon Stream, right? Or Gideon, depending on what your Bible says. The, it has it. Of course, that was a barley loaf, but this is the same thing. Daniel's dream of the stone is like falling down and crushing. I'm sorry, that wasn't Daniel's dream. Nebuchadnezzar's, I was speaking too quickly. Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the stone falling down and crushing Colossus, right? We are almost there, right? And, and I personally suggest going to food pantries and picking up whatever shelf-stable food you can if you're not already in the business of buying buckets of food. If you can't afford it, at least get ready as much as you can. Um, because there's going to be a day where you are responsible for you and you can't be taken up by the storm that's coming. Right? So before, so the horn was waging war un, against the saints, right? Overpowering the saints until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom forever and ever, it says, for all ages to come. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it, which is a one world government, right? It's, um, it will devour the whole earth, different from all the rest. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. So out of the ten kings, arising out of this fourth kingdom, the last kingdom before the kingdom of Messiah, they subdue three others from among them, from among themselves. 
and then this oh I'm sorry the 11th one subdues the three kings from among those that arose out of the fourth kingdom I'm still figuring it out it is such a puzzle so then in verse 25 he says that this 11th horn the little one who is larger in appearance than its associates according to verse 20 he will speak out against the most high and wear down the saints of the highest one and he will intend to make alterations in times and in laws times can be seasons um, it can be um, the pace of a year whether it is caught like actually um, an alteration in in like actually our year or an alteration in the calendar or an alteration in really anything that we we count time by um, and in law I want to um, kind of tack on to the whole times thing that it also has a lot to do with culture and how we culturally collectively think you can make alterations in times um, sort of like how the times have changed from the 60s the times have changed from the 90s the times have even changed from the mid 2000s um, and we are going into a new decade very soon I do believe that at the beginning of 2020 we will be entering into a portion of time that will be very different from all the rest so then it says this 11th horn will intend to make alterations in times and in law and they will be given into his hands the saints will be given into his hand for a time times and half a time which I'm sure you're all familiar with we usually think of that as being a year plus two years and a half a year so three and a half years much like how it's recorded that Jesus um, ministered the gospel um, all over Israel and really the that Mediterranean area Syro Phoenicia um, for three and a half years before he was killed and, um, and and this is just a very important figure but it could also be it says three a time times and half a time it is a riddle and it may not point to the most obvious conclusion so we have to keep an open mind there not draw any conclusions in order to read the rest of the riddle but the court will sit for judgment and his dominion the 11th horn will be taken away annihilated and destroyed forever then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. And he didn't write again until the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, right? This vision here of the four beasts was in the first year of Belshazzar. And in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, a vision appeared to him following the same thread. He kept it to himself until then. So we've gone through this for nearly an hour now. So I'm going to conclude with just a little segment of encouragement. Um, I do not want to be a rabble rouser and say the end is near as though it should be something we fear. We should not fear the end. We should fear Yahweh. 
Um, I see all of the time Christian ministries showing me videos of starving black children in their care. And I simply have to wonder to myself, why are those children starving so much? Why are those children starving so much? Oh, well, it's a food crisis, so give our charity money. Well, what I know about how charities are run is that generally people like to use them as slush funds and do whatever they like with them. So no, don't give your money to someone who's claiming to give it to starving people if they are still starving people in their care. If they have so many starving people that they can't feed them all and so people starve and they say it's because you're not giving enough money, they're doing it wrong. They need to get more help from other people. They need to get more help from other organizations. And if that many people are starving and children are starving and dying in Africa, even under the care of people who are supposedly receiving funds to feed them, what I say to that is, first of all, <coughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't be a fool. And also the wrath of Yahweh is coming. What you need to do is pray that Yahweh would give you whatever you need to make whatever impact you can. And if it's those giving to that charity, let him speak to you clearly. Ask him. Just ask him. But don't just fly by the seat of your pants and listen to some televangelists tell you, pull out your wallet and give us some money because we need help. Here's a video of some starving black children and they're in our care and part of our ministry, but they're starving. I'm sorry. That would here launch a child protective services investigation into that organization that perpetually has starving children around. Um, any white, white Christian organization operating within the United States who had um, that level of neglect in their ranks would be shut down. So please don't fly by the seat of your pants and throw your money at anybody because your money is a tool that God has given you unless you earned it in iniquity. So if you are a good steward of your money, you are fearful of God, what you should be putting your money towards is things that can positively affect you and your immediate neighbors. Remember that, that Jesus told us to love our neighbors, right? So I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus just because their neighbors have destroyed their countries, destroyed their governments, their neighbors hate each other um, and hate them and have turned their country into a war-torn waste place. But we see this in the Bible as a sword that Yahweh brings against people and, and it is a sign of the time. I'm not saying not to have compassion on people. But I'm going to stop being so politically correct. Let's just be real. If you are not preparing food stores, um, you are wasting your time on this planet. If, um, if you're not preparing your property or preparing to purchase a property, um, if you're not preparing your home wherever you are, in any way, you are wasting your time. It is very important that we would prepare, that we would take ourselves out of and not, not function within popular society as it is today. Um, if we don't take our children out of the public school and start spending time with them, regardless of what life changes we need to make to make that happen, we need to consider who we are accountable for 
or accountable to for our time on the earth, right? We need to be doing these things and we need to be encouraging each other to do these things and helping each other to do these things. Help your neighbors, help yourself, help your family. And don't fear what's coming. Fear the one who is coming. Stay in the word and keep trying to, to identify the ploys and plots of Satan in your life and pray for the grace to overcome him because that is the only way we're going to make it through is by acknowledging God and loving each other. This is Grace. I'm signing off. I hope you all have a beautiful Saturday, a beautiful Sabbath, and I look forward to seeing you all again with my nose in the book.